All right. Why don't you turn to Luke chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 13 through 35. In the message entitled, Jesus desires to reveal himself. We want to look at the account of the two men on the road to Emmaus. Well, we don't know if they're men, but we're just going to assume that right now. Uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus that the Lord reveals to himself in a very natural, progressive way with great intimacy, as we'll see. Um, the passage is unique to Luke. No one else has it. We only get this account here. We have a confirmation of a commentary in, in Mark, and we'll see that. But uh, Jesus has been crucified and placed in the tomb. The apostles have abandoned him. They've all left him. The message of hope is seemingly almost distinguished, but the various appearances of Jesus ignites the gospel message to the living hope. There is no other hope on this earth apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no hope. It's not in religion. It's not in philosophy. It's not in anything but in Jesus Christ. And I can't encourage you enough, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, that you open your heart to what God will speak to you as we look at this text. The account of the two walking on the road to Emmaus presents us three reasons why Jesus reveals himself to man. Let me read our text for us. It says, Now, behold, two of them were traveling the same day in a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they, they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversations is it that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad? And then the one whose uh, name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And you have you not known the things that have happened here there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in a word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find the body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. And then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. Now, it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us as while we talk, he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The two men walking, or the two disciples here walking on the road to Emmaus presents us three reasons why Jesus reveals himself. First, to walk with man, verse 13 through 16, to walk with man. Second, to talk with man, verse 17 through 27. 
And thirdly, to sup with man, verse 28 through 35, or dine with him, to eat. And so, here Jesus reveals himself to walk with man. This is just fundamental. God desires to walk with you and with myself. The two individuals were disciples of Jesus. Notice in verse 13, um, behold, the two were traveling the same day to the village um, called Emmaus, which uh, was seven miles away. The scene presents to us uh, a call to attention. The word behold uh, is exclamatory. In other words, you're driving down the street and you say, hey, look there. It, there's something to catch your eye. And each person has to turn to, to look at that. And uh, the old King James translated, lo. And the great community says, lo, I'm with you always. And it calls attention. Each person has to do that themselves. Now, it's an imperative command. It's not a suggestion. And the two people traveling here were disciples of Jesus Christ. We know this because in verse 21, we're going to see that uh, they said that they were hoping that he might redeem Israel. And uh, they were discouraged because it was already the third day. And in verse 24, it's also going to tell us that... Uh, that others of their group had gone to the tomb and um, uh, basically the women, they found it empty. So they were all believers and they were traveling on Sunday. That's what this is. Indicated by the phrase, the same day. Points back to verse 1 of the chapter. First day of the week, Sunday. Emmaus, seven miles away. We don't know where the location is. No one is known. Josephus mentions it. Others mention it. But we're not sure of the location. But we do know that it says it was seven miles. Now, they're returning home from the Passover. Because on the Sabbath day, you couldn't travel more than five-sixths of a mile. This is seven miles. So you have to wait till Sunday. Okay? Now, notice in verse 14, the two individuals were discussing the events uh, regarding Jesus in Jerusalem. And they uh, talked together all these things that had happened. Now, as we're going to see, it progresses to find out that the demeanor is really not that of great hope. The things are not stipulated specifically here, but when we get to verse 19 to 24, they will enumerate certain things for Jesus. They have seen Jesus riding to Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, Zechariah 9.9, fulfilling the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed comes the name of the Lord. They were thrilled. They were ready to expect the kingdom to be established. But instead, Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified, and put in the tomb. They were from this high and they came, coming down, crashing. You ever been there? You expected something so great and all of a sudden, it just washed all away? Notice in 15, the two individuals were disappointed and perplexed. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they were intensely involved in this discussion and then they're walking and there's something about walking when you don't have the distraction, different things you can talk, whatever it is. And the word um, converse there simply means to talk. So they were discussing these things and they were reasoning, it says. They were seeking to examine and investigate. That's the word. Some uh, times the word can be translated to dispute or argue. Some people uh, say this is the way it should be translated, but not so. The context denies it. They were trying to figure out these things as we see it uh, develop. Now, as they're traveling, Jesus just walks up. Now, this was customary because when people went to the feast days, they would come along the roads and they would gather other groups. They traveled together for, for um, security and protection and company at the same time. So it was nothing abnormal or anything else. Now, Jesus is glorified. He's in his glorified body. But as he comes in, they don't see anything. 
They don't notice any difference because we're going to see he veiled their eyes. Okay? So they, they just look at him as, they didn't even recognize him as Jesus, as a matter of fact. Um, and remember, Jesus could travel instantly from one location to the other. When the apostles uh, were afraid in John twenty twenty six, and they were behind closed doors, all of a sudden he's just in the middle of the room. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that model, especially the older this one gets. Um, Jesus began to walk with them on the road to Emmaus. No objections, no suspect, nothing at all. And notice in 16, the two individuals were hindered from seeing him, as I said. Their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. A divine empowerment to just conceal them for the set purpose in mind that Jesus here is going to uh, reveal. Uh, it's the same thing that is going to happen in verse 31 as he will open their eyes. Uh, the same thing happened to you, happened to me when we repented of our sins. We heard the gospel and our eyes were open to see ourselves under the wrath of God in need of a Savior. It wasn't by our intellect, it wasn't because we were so smart. And God removed that veil through the preaching of the gospel. We have various accounts of Jesus when he appeared and he wasn't recognized. Uh, Mark 16.12 says, and by the way, Mark 16.12 is a commentary on this event that only Luke records. Listen, he says, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. This is, a, this is the occasion. That's a commentary, verifying that this is a, a valid account. And John tells us Mary Magdalene thought Jesus was the gardener in John 20, 15. So, for God's purposes and that, he, he kind of just veiled their, their eyes. Walking with God is basic. Uh, it all began that way in the Garden of Eden. It says Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. Enoch walked with God. He was not because God took him. Walking speaks of progress, direction, uh, companionship. God hears and delights at the conversation of God's people when they're walking with Him to see if they're talking about Him or not. God would be interested if Xavier Rees only talks about God on the pulpit or if he talks to about God at home with his grandkids, with friends, with other people. He takes note of that. Listen to Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditated on his name. Now, if you know the book of Malachi, it was a period of time of great sarcasm and, and indifference to God. Okay? And yet God knows the people who speak about him, about it with each other and everything. He marks it down. Jesus travels himself Throughout the world always. He doesn't have to go from location to location. He's everywhere at the same time. And he reveals himself to those who are conversing and reasoning about the things of God. Seeking to uh, investigate the purpose of God for their life and the things that God has. For that reason, Amos 3.3 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question with only one answer. No. We agree with God. So I must be a man of the Word so I understand what God reveals, what it is. A lot of people say they have faith, but if your faith doesn't take you back to the revelation of God, it's not biblical faith. It's simply your opinion. In other words, God says that Jesus died for my sins, dead, risen, and if I believe that, my sins can be forgiven. My mind says that's stupid. God's Word says that's true. My faith is biblical when I believe God's revelation. You understand? It's real simple. 
Now, Jesus reveals himself to those who walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We have to make sure that our faith is biblical. Again, it's not based on emotion, on circumstances, or situations. Um, I thank God that I, I was channeled right into a Bible teaching uh, pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, when I got born again. Because if your pastor wouldn't have been grounded, just been born again, uh, the, the tides of time would not have kept me. The only thing that's going to keep you is the Word of God. It's solid. It's ever fixed. It's a rock. Emotions, feelings, circumstances, all that. It'll take you through it. The Word of God. And so Jesus reveals Himself to walk with men. That's what He wants to do. Walk with you. Walk with me. Secondly, Jesus reveals Himself to talk with man. Look at 17 through 27. In 17 to 20, Jesus wanted to talk to them about their sadness. Jesus asked the two the topic of their conversation and why they were so grieved. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this between you? You're having with one another and, and you're walking and are sad. Now the Lord wasn't asking for information. He knew exactly. He wanted them to pour his heart, their heart out to him. When we go to prayer, he doesn't need information. He wants me to pull my heart out to him. That's what he wants. You understand? Our pride keeps us from that. Our, our intellect, whatever it may be. The word sad means downcast, sullen. And if you live in any length of time here on earth, you're going to have plenty of those days. <laughs> but Jesus is risen. This is the key. This is where they're at. They're not going to stay there. Jesus was responding to their need. And Jesus was responded to with amazement. Then one of those who, were, uh, who was Cleopas here in verse 18 answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happen here these days? Sheesh! He's Jewish. Astonished. Clopas asked if he were a stranger in Jerusalem. Are you coming from out of town? Are you from the moon? Because everybody knows what happened. Everybody was at the trial. Everybody followed him to Calvary. Everybody saw him crucified. Some try to tie Clopas and the other individual as his wife in John nineteen twenty five, when it says the wife of Clopas, not Cleopas. They're not the same names. We don't know who these two people are. We know one's name, but we don't know who they are. It doesn't matter. It's what Jesus did for them that's important. Very, very important. Now notice in verse 19 and 20, Jesus then inquired about the things in particular. He asked, and he said to them, What things? <laughs> Jesus comes to you. What, what's wrong? Oh, you know. Those things. What things? You know. What things? <laughs> we don't want to deal with issues at times. Both responded the same at the same time about the ministry of Jesus. They identified Jesus in his humanity. 
So they said to him, the thing concerning Jesus of Nazareth, very particular person here, they identify him according to his anointing, who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and all the people. A prophet like unto Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, the God-man. This particular one. And then both in verse 20 told about the betrayal of the death of Jesus and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Notice they, they put their finger on the true culprits, their, their, their chief priests and all their religious rulers. Jesus told Pilate, the one who delivers me to you has a greater guilt. Yes, Rome crucified him, but it was the Jews who turned him in. That's why Jesus condemned them and pronounced judgment for 70 A.D. Look at 21. Jesus wanted to talk to them about their loss of hope. Notice that one thing is led, leads to another. They're all connected. Both of them had placed their confident trust in Jesus to be the Messiah. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. The word but is a sharp conjunction here contrasting the two. It stands in sharp contrast to the high hope of of. of, of Redeeming Israel and the crushing hopelessness of his death in the previous verse. Gone. The word redeem means to release on the receipt of the payment of ransom. It's an infinitive. One about to pay the ransom or price and thus deliver Israel, but it stopped. As far as they're concerned, it stopped. I haven't seen hide nor hair of them. It's the third day. To say these two were speaking only about political deliverance is a contradiction to the text and the context. They've indicated their hope in spite of his death and the hope of the resurrection the third day. Both in 20 and 21. Now notice both of them had given up trusting Jesus to be Messiah to an extent. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So, somebody was aware of the third day. Now, the, the, the apostles, they were the unbelievers. The religious rulers would believe more. The, 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 the Roman guards would believe more than they. And they said, if all this was not bad enough, besides all this, worse yet, it's the third day. Now he was crucified on Friday. Many people make a big to-do about whether he was crucified on Thursday or Friday. Was it three days complete and three nights complete and that? Jesus said three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, just like Jonah in the belly. Now, the Jews began on sundown. Okay? Jesus was put in the tomb before sundown. Okay? You have one day. You have all the way to Saturday. It's two days. And Saturday is Sunday morning because Sunday morning begins Sunday even, Saturday evening. It's three days. Part of a day is still a day. Okay? And he rose from the dead. So a lot of people try to make an intellectual thing about it. Trust me. It was Friday and he was up on Sunday. Okay? He wasn't late. Now notice in verse 22 to 24, Jesus wanted to talk to them about their confusion. Hopelessness, confusion, all this kind of stuff. I'm glad you guys don't need to know anything about this, but just in case, okay? He says concerning the affirmed report by the women of the tomb. 
They're, they're trying to make sense of this stuff. Well, Jesus said this, this happened, that happened. We were up here. He said this now. And these crazy women, they said, this, I, I, you know, what are we going to do this? And they, all this information is coming in. Yes, and certain women of our company, so they're all believers. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and Salome were there. Verse 10 of this chapter and Mark fifteen forty tells us. Jesus appeared to Mary and told her not to cling to him because he had not ascended to the Father in John 20, 16 through 17. Remember? And notice in 22 at the end, they indicated the time. They arrived at the tomb early in the morning to bring the spices. Verse 1 of this chapter says. They discussed who was going to roll away the stone. As they were going over there, Mark 16, 3 says. They're worried about things that are not going to happen. Kind of like you and I. They're never going to happen. They get there, <clears throat> the stones roll away. There's an earthquake. Angel rolls it away. Then he sits on the stone and waits for them. Now you got to get all four Gospels because you have all this supplementary material. There was one, there was two, there was up on the rock. It's a complete picture of everything. Put it together. No contradiction. Now notice they acknowledge their ability to make any sense of all of this. They were unable. Astonished us. Dumbfounded. In wonderment. Again, they're trying to make sense of this. And you and I in life, sometimes things don't, they don't line up. And we do what we're supposed to and then things happen and we say, how could God allow this and this going on? And, and we go through these things and all that's good. It's spiritual exercises. They gave the reason when they did not find the body. They, be, um, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of an angel. And he said he was alive. The tomb's empty. The angel's shining garments were the tomb. They asked the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 4. The question may not sound real profound. But ladies, I hope you're not going to find a date at the morgue. Today you never know. Luke 16, 6 says, He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not there. See the place where they laid him. He rose from the dead. They get the message. So, they're dealing with this. He's right beside them. They don't even know. Doesn't that sound familiar? You go through your most difficult trial. You're going there. And you're just, oh, you know, and you're not even aware Jesus is right next to you. He's right there. We've gotten reports of Jesus physically, visibly appearing to some of the Iranians in jail in Iran. Amazing stuff. It gives me goosebumps. You know what I mean? Could he do it to you? Sure. Could he do it to me? Sure. Why doesn't he? I don't know. We'll ask him when we get there. But also notice concerning the confirmed witness of the apostles in verse 24. Peter and John were the apostles, as we'll see. It says, And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. There in verse 23. You confirm this in the 12th verse of this chapter. And also John chapter 20 verse 3 through 4. 
John and Peter ran to the tomb, and John outran Peter. And they found it empty. And when they got there, John stooped down, looked in. Peter just rushed in, and then John followed him. He saw, and he believed, John 20, 5 through 8 says. John was the first one to believe. Others did not. Now, so much for believing if you can see. They believe when they didn't see. Notice now in verse 25 through 27, Jesus wanted to talk to them about their lack of understanding about God's word. Now he's getting personal. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. The word foolish means uh, without sense of understanding. He's reproving them intellectually. Uh, it's translated unwise and foolish in Romans 1.14 and Galatians 3.1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word literally can be translated as stupid. He stated the cause of their unbelief. Don't miss it. Slow of heart to believe. The word slow means sluggish, dull, unresponsive to the truth of the words of the prophets. What they have spoken. The heart, cardia. That's always the problem. It's always with our heart. The seed of personality, the emotion, the intellect, the will. That's who I really am. They believed in a conquering Messiah, but they had no room for a suffering Messiah. What was the problem? Their heart. And that's always my problem. Once my heart gets right, the things still remain the same, but they're okay. We can handle them now. It's the heart. He reproved them for misunderstanding the first coming of Jesus. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Yes. The prophecy of the suffering Messiah, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and many others. Ought. The word is necessity, obligation. The same word for Acts 4.12. There is no other name given under heaven or whereby men must ought be saved. It's not a suggestion. The prophecy of entering his glory would follow, but the suffering would come first. See, usually we want the glory, but we don't like the suffering. The suffering comes first, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't put us through suffering just to make us complain and to hurt. But he puts us through things to refine us, to make us more like him. That we might cry out to him, pour our heart out to him. See, the problem is, as long as you keep finding people to hear you, you're not going to go talk to God. So people talk to this guy, that guy, everything else, this and that, everything, and then they're more confused. Or worse yet, they do what the people tell them to do. You and I need to go to God. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 5, And now, O Father, <clears throat> glorify me together with yourself in the glory which I had before the world was. First the humiliation, the cross. Not the glorification. He said at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, brings us to chapter 12, the beginning, says that um, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross, despising the shame. 
Many times that's interpreted to mean that Jesus saw the benefit on all people who would be saved. But if you look at the context, I disagree with that. I believe that the context is that the joy that was set before me was going to be reunited with the Father again. He had been separated for the first time, the only time. He never had any doubts about the atonement. He was going to be reunited with the Father. <laughs> now, if you've been gone from somebody a long time and you see them again, you know the joy. That's what it's all about. And notice he instructed them by pointing himself out in the scriptures. I wish we had this record. The Holy Spirit deemed not to give it to us. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures that think concerning himself. Verse 27. First, the five books of Moses. Moses is, is the top priority. He's, he's, he's more important than the prophets follow. All of them. Major and minor prophets. The word expound means to unfold the meaning. To unravel it, to explain it, to interpret it. Jesus said, look, here I am, here they are, here. this is for me, this is that. This, I, I mean, just beginning with Genesis 3.15 all the way on down. Incredible. But what, what was he doing? The same thing he was doing every day he was, he was here on earth. He communed with the Father every day. He would get up early and go pray. Disciples said, hey, teach us to pray. Jesus never did anything except the Father directed and guided him. He always went to the Father. He talked with him. That's what he wants to do with you and I. The minute you get up in the morning, what do you say? Oh, God. Or is it, oh, God, help me today. <laughs> it, it makes a big difference how you say, oh, God. <laughs> there will be times in our life of great sadness and disappointment. So we need to be talking to God daily. So that when the difficult times comes, we continue to do what we've always done. That's the important thing about sending men to boot camp. And to put them under severe traumas, if you will, for warfare. So that when they're in the midst of it, they will function exactly the same. If you're looking for a plush life, when those difficult times come, you're going to be crushed. It could be your job situation. Or maybe that uh, you finished school and you put a lot of money on. Now you can't get a job. It could be your marriage. It didn't turn out the way you expected it. You've got to work through it. You got to wait through some things. You got to seek the Lord. You got to eat some crow. It could be the path your children have chosen to walk away from God as you've protected them, raised them, and prayed for them, and you can't understand it. The worst thing today is I see a lot of parents, as their children begin to deviate, the parents follow. Parents, you are a lighthouse. Your children walk away. You be that lighthouse, stable, standing. They always know you're there. Praying for them. You don't move. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Do you know the context of that verse? God is telling this Jeremiah to the people when he's about to put him into captivity of 70 years. And they're scratching their head. How are you going to bring us back? He says, don't worry. It's not your problem. I'll take care of that. <laughs> Nothing difficult for God. Whatever you're going through, he has an expected hope and end for you. But you've got to be that clay that yields to the potter. There will be times in our lives that you and I will be confused and think all hope is lost and there will be no one around to encourage you. You'll be all by yourself. 
Don't disappoint yourself. Be faithful to God. Could be that you've been receiving news that you've got a terminal illness or your husband, wife, or your child. Could be that your job has told you they're going to retire early for the benefit of the company, certainly not for you. You fill in the blank. And no one's around but you. Then you must do like the psalmist says. Listen carefully. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Just looking to God will be all I need. And I have to rebuke myself. I have to reprove myself. I have to say no to Xavier. I must be the first one there. There should always be a very keen awareness of our lack of understanding regarding the Scriptures, regardless of how long we've walked with God, how much we've studied. That we're dependent upon Him as I read, that He speak to my heart. That when I study, I, I depend on Him to illuminate my mind and my thoughts and to guide and, and make it get personal for me. To listen to the teachings in this church so that, Lord, you speak to me, reprove me, rebuke me, guide me, check me, whatever it may be. That, that, that you may be the one that's directing me that I'm, I'm obeying you and no one else. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 puts it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired day than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. More by them. Moreover by them your servant is warned. And the keeping of them is great reward. The word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. If you did not have the word of God or I, we would be dead. Absolutely no compass. Like a pilot just rolling all over. Can't control that plane. And you know you're going to crash. Jesus reveals himself to talk with man. Thirdly, notice, Jesus reveals himself to sup with man, to eat, to dine with him. Verse 28 through 35. In 28 to 29, Jesus subs with those who personally invite him. Don't miss that. The two had arrived at Emmaus. They drew near the village where they were going. And seven miles, if you walk at a fairly normal pace, take you maybe an hour, a little bit over an hour. Um... It's time for Jesus to depart from them. They're taken off in. But Jesus acted as if he was going to continue to travel, indicating that he would go farther. See, Jesus never forces himself upon a non-believer to be saved. And Jesus never forces his fellowship on you. You must invite him. You must ask him. He's a perfect gentleman. The two were concerned about Jesus traveling alone. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. The word constrain means to compel by force. Only one other time in Acts 16, 15. 
You see, they asked Jesus to turn in the home with them because it was already night. It was dangerous to travel at night by yourself. Animals, robbers, everything else. And he says here, abide with us. This word means to continue to remain. Jesus used it in John 15, the vine and the branches. He who abides in me will bring forth much fruit. But if the branch or that person doesn't, they're cut off and they're cast into fire. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't suggest that Jesus did. So you have a problem of somebody being able to walk away, you better talk to Jesus. If there was no possibility, why would he even imply it? It's real simple. Now, notice 30 to 31, Jesus opens the eyes of those who break bread with him. Notice the progression, the intimacy. I love it. And Jesus desires personal, intimate fellowship. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. The word sat means to recline. This is the Jewish manner. We've gone through it many times. They lean back on pillows, one elbow, and they sit at the table, low to the ground, and people sit around there. And um, they were comfortable. And notice that he's the host, even though he's invited. Jesus never takes a guest position. If you invite him in your heart, you have to get in the back seat. No more driving. He takes over. He acts as the master, breaks the bread, prays over it. He gives it to them. He reveals his presence. Their eyes are open. Miraculously. Immediately, instantly. They knew him as he was Christ, the risen one. And then he vanishes. Wow. Job is done. Their hopes, their fears, everything. Notice in 32, Jesus deals with the heart of man. The two bore witness of the work of Jesus in their heart. They said to one another, Not our heart burn within us. Supernatural work. In a positive way. The ch- nothing had changed, but he was alive now. That made all the difference in the world. While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, Notice in 33 to 35, Jesus having made himself known to the two, they had to tell others. They wasted no time. They got up, they rose that very hour. Regardless of the danger, it was night, it didn't matter to them anymore. Once you know Jesus is alive, then you're not afraid of death. <laughs> you do what you have to. They had to make it known. They found the 11, those who were with them, and those who gathered together, and the 11 is the name for the group, because... Thomas wasn't there, John 20, 24 tells us. So it's just the name for the group, for the, those that like the 12. And they confirmed Jesus was alive. The Lord is risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. So now the confirmation of the other one makes sense. And also verified by verse 12 of this chapter. Paul confirms it in 1 Corinthians fifteen five, And they witnessed about the personal experience of Jesus in their life. They told him all about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them by breaking bread. Their experience was valid only because it was biblical and scriptural. Whatever you experience, it must be biblical for it to be valid. Many people live their life by spiritual, emotional experiences that have no biblical context or validity, and they are wrong. And they start teaching things that are unbiblical. Remember Simon the Pharisee, Jesus revealed his heart as he was eating with him, and the woman came in. Simon, you see this woman? She was forgiven much, so she loves much. The only way you're going to make it through life, if your love for the Lord is first, 
If you fall in love with the Lord and spend time with the Lord, then everything else is going to work out. You're not going to have a problem with anything else. If you, if you don't stay in love with the Lord, then let me tell you, you're going to complain to Him. You're going to whine everything else. You're going to think He gave you a, just a, 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 a second-hand bill of salvation. I'm sure that Jesus is more excited about fellowshipping with me than I with Him, to my own embarrassment. He can, crowd us, he can be crowded out by my time, by my schedule, by my own plans, whatever it may be. I have to make that time. Psalm 5, 1 through 4 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to you, my voice through you, my cry. My King, my God, for to you I will pray. The vo- by your voice shall hear me in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct to you. And I will look up. And you are not a God that takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you in the morning. How you begin your day. The old man's there. Satan's there. You must start with the Lord. The heart of the message of the gospel is the resurrection. It began with the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost. He has risen. Death could not hold him. It's the heart of it. Paul says, if, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. The gospel's in vain. We're a bunch of liars. The people who have trusted in Christ have perished. And we are most of all men to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 on down to 19. The resurrection. The hope of eternal life. The only way you can do all this again is to fall in love with Jesus. The Lord asked Jesus one day, which is the greatest commandment. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Your neighbor is yourself. But the first is the greatest, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That is the key. If you don't stay on fire with the Lord in love, then everything will turn gray. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12-12 says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still in the, shut up in the court of the prison saying, Thus saith the Lord who made it. The Lord that formed and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. I still remember that sermon in Jeremiah 33, 1-3. Things that I know not. I, don't, I know very little. The more I study, the more I know, the less I know. There's so much to know. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. As we're going to study the seven churches, when we come to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.20, the scripture is always used for evangelism. I stand at the door and knock. But it's really talking to Christians. The Laodicean church is one of the churches of Jesus that turn lukewarm. And they kicked him out. And he's knocking on the door to the individual lukewarm Christians to let him back in. And if you open that door, I will dine with you and you with me. Wow. Jesus reveals himself to sup with man. He said to his disciples, the woman of Samaria, I, you, I have meat that you know not of. <laughs> Amazing. What a walk these two guys had on the road to Emmaus. Through that, we get the three reasons why Jesus reveals himself to man. To walk with man, to talk with man, and to sup with man. Simple, basic. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts always, Lord. And we just love you more each day. 
We pray for those that are here, Lord, who perhaps do not know you, that you would just speak to them and make yourself known the very same way, removing the scales from their eyes, Lord. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought to you to be saved. To repent of your sins, recognize that Jesus died in your place and rose from the dead. You must do that. No one can do it for you. Maybe you're in the balcony or maybe over the internet. This is your prayer. If you want to accept Him, He's going to forgive you of your sins and make you a child of God by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.